All right, welcome into the fifth episode of uh, Duck Territories podcast with Matt Prem, Eric Scopel. Hey, I'm, I'm Matt Prem, Matt's Eric. Uh, Monday morning, we're getting ready to head over to Willie Taggart's Monday morning press conference to kick off the next week of the season, which is now officially Nebraska week. Yes, it is. Uh, but this podcast is going to be kind of generated towards what happened last Saturday and kind of our impressions against Southern Utah. Uh, if you're listening on Facebook Live, uh, go ahead, drop your questions in if you're not sure what that is. We do a podcast, but what you listen to right now, while we're recording, we have our Facebook Live open uh, for fans to be able to interact with us and drop questions in uh, periodically through our show. Uh, we'll take a couple. We won't go through as many as we normally do today, but we'll, we'll, we will go through a couple. So if, in future reference, go to facebook.com slash Oregon 247. That will get you to our Facebook page. If you're not liking us there, uh, go ahead and like that page there. So Oregon opens up their season last Saturday against Southern Utah. They score 77 points. They give up just 21, nine rushing touchdowns, most points scored in Austin history, most points in modern history for Oregon football. Most rushing touchdowns at Austin Stadium. Yeah, most rushing touchdowns in Austin Stadium. Uh, it was a, a game of accomplishments and a hell of a start for the Willie Taggart era for 2017. Absolutely, and, and I think he was awarded the game ball following the game. I think that was deserving, although you probably could have given it to the offensive line as well. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you wanted to get the excitement back and back in knots, and I think you, you succeeded there on, on Saturday, I, you know. I don't think any of us, I mean, we predicted that they'd score 40 to 50 points. I don't think anyone in their right mind thought they'd, they'd score 77. And, and the fact that they did it pretty easily, I yeah. mean, they could have easily scored 84. They fumbled the ball at the one-yard line, I think, in the first quarter. So and this, this is a team clearly that's not going to have any difficulties scoring the ball this year. Obviously, Southern Utah is not going to be probably they're probably the easiest foe Oregon will face all season. But, uh, you know, I think, yeah, I think you have to be greatly encouraged by this opening game. I mean, I don't think you could have asked for a whole lot more, to be honest. No, it was a performance where they scored 21 straight points three quarters in a row. Uh, they were leading 42-7 to with about four minutes to go in, in, the, fir- in the first half. Uh, and that was kind of the only spot, really, where you felt like Oregon played bad. For about four minutes, they played mediocre football at best, especially on the defensive side of the, yeah. of the field, just because... Arion Springs went for a bad interception attempt. He was the last man of the defense on that side of the field. He shouldn't have gone for it. He should have just made the smart play, make the tackle, line up again, do it again. Instead, he went for the interception. He missed, and that resulted uh, in Landon Meesom's 64-yard touchdown pass. Uh, And then to compound that, Tony Brooks-James muffed the kickoff return. SUU got the ball at Oregon's 25, and uh, a couple five plays later, James Felia rushed in for uh, his first touchdown of the game. Uh, he should have scored though. He, got, he was hitting the backfield back three guys. And yeah. somehow made it in. And so that made it 42 to 21 going into the half. But then uh, Oregon just steamrolled in the second in the second half, uh, scoring 35 points to to finish the game, 77 to 21. And I think. Biggest takeaway offensively from this unit is that new system, first game playing in that system, and Oregon looked like Oregon of 2010 to 2012, where it didn't really matter what they were running, whether the opponent knew it or not, they were going to run you over and play a smash-mouth style of football and just dominate from the line of scrimmage and win the game. And that it's, it's what is expected from this game, but to simply just 
to actually go out and do it is another right. thing. And you know, teams that are really good, they win by these scores. Now, they put up godly numbers without really showing much of their offense, and that's what Oregon did. Smash mouth is the right word, too. I mean, Mario Cristobal has totally brought a different mentality and a different style of running for this offense here. And, you know, they're running a lot of power. You know, in the past, they've run a lot to the outside, a lot of sweeps and stuff. They're running a lot of stuff right up the gut, and that was very successful today. You know, you have to give a lot of props to the inside um, offensive line in there, the guards and the centers. I think they did a great job. Um, just overall, the line was just tremendous. You know, and I think that's something that you probably expected coming into the year. I think we, we probably had them pegged as the best unit on the team. Uh, that or running backs. So we knew the running game was going to be strong. But, I mean, talk about Justin Herbert for a second. I mean, I thought he was almost perfect out there yeah. playing the football. And uh, five passes of more than 25 yards, I believe. So one of the things I wanted to see was that vertical passing threat. Could they do it? Obviously, they've got that ability. Um, they averaged 15.5, 15.4 yards per completion. That's great. That's a, 13. That's, that's a big number. And, you know, and when he came out of the game, we, we wondered who his backup would be. I thought Taylor Alley played. I think he was 6-for-6 six six and had a rushing touchdown. He was just about perfect as well. So. Yeah, I actually didn't realize how much they threw the football until I had to go back and look at the stats. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think was lacking in the Chip Kelly era, was lacking in the Mark Elfridge era. Yeah. And quite honestly, lacking – in general, before Willie Taggart got here. And it's, it's one game, so you, who knows how they're going to respond and if they get in this situation uh, again. And we might not see it for a couple of weeks now until maybe uh, an opponent like Cal comes along. But then again, Cal pulled off a big upset, so yeah. maybe they're better than expected. But in, in years past, when Oregon gets into these situations where it's 56-21 in early fourth quarter, they pull the starters and... Next thing you know, it's run to the right, run to the left, draw, or run to the right, run to the left, screen. or nice. you know, Yeah, and very basic, very vanilla. Uh, Taggart let the second team move the ball, and that's how you develop players. That's how you develop depth, uh, and that's also a way how you can appease to recruits by saying, hey, look, you might not start like a guy like Darian McNeil. You might not start, but you're going to play, and when we get in game situations where you're going to play a lot in the fourth quarter because of blowout, we're still going to run the same offense. McNeil had uh, two carries off fly sweeps. He had, uh, I, I believe, a, a catch as well. Yeah. Um, you know, they found ways to get younger players the football and yet still not really try and run up the score uh, per se, which is, which is good to see. Let's take a question here. Jonathan Charles has a two-part question. First off, the duck position is in the base defense, and secondly, who's the five-star recruit that's visiting this weekend? Um, the the five-star recruit can be... I think you, if, if you're a subscriber to uh, GoDuckTerritory.com, I, I would go there. Uh, it, it's a familiar name, but it's a very important name for Oregon for 2018. I think as far as the, the base defense, I've been told in the past it was not part of the base defense, although Fotiliatu was listed as a starter and was with the first team defense from the, from the jump. So uh, it may not be the base defense, but it looks like a defense that they're going to play out of a lot. Um, yeah, they, they started with... The, with with the duck linebacker, the duck right? linebacker yeah. lineup, uh, Foto Liatu was the outside linebacker that started. Henry Mondu, Austin Fiala, Jalen Jelks were the defensive line. Yeah. Uh, Justin Hollins, Troy Dye, AJ Hodgkins were the linebackers along with Fia, uh, Liatu, and then uh, Amadi, Oliver McGraw, and Springs were your starting second. So it does look like they're going to play that duck linebacker a lot, which is I think kind of something we had anticipated. Um, they did also run a fair amount with Jonah Moyne yes. uh, or Justin Hollins or, or, or some combination of that together. Um, 
Winston so was also Winston, on Winston played it quite a bit. So I mean, they, it looks like they're going to kind of mix and match personnel groups there. Um, it, I don't think I, and this one maybe we'll ask Jim Levitt on on Thursday to be frank. You know, just or Wednesday I guess is when defense comes out. Um, it, is it are they going to start with? Is that was it is that just, your base defense? Is that your base defense? Why did you choose to start with this week? Um, I, I think that's that's kind of an interesting wrinkle now that. Uh, that we were curious to see going in, and I think you got some answers, but not all of them, probably on Saturday. Uh, going back to Saturday's performance, I think maybe the one negative aspect, and I'm sure that's what Taggart's going to talk about today because it's what he talked about uh, immediately after Saturday. Uh, it's what he talked about in the scrimmages, uh, talked about in the spring, uh, and it's something that really irked Oregon fans and the coach, the previous coaching staff in 2016, and that's penalties. Uh, this team committed 12 penalties, 115 yards. Uh, they gave up. Seven first downs to SUU via penalty as well. So that's seven drives or seven series that got extended because of Oregon's mistakes, not because of what SUU did, uh, simply because Oregon got lazy or out of position uh, and they had to they had to commit some kind of a penalty. A couple of them I think were not fair, but for the most part, yeah. you know, Oregon just made mistakes, and that, you know, against good teams, 12 penalties for 115 yards is going to cost you. Absolutely, and five of those penalties, I believe, were of the defensive pass interference caliber, you know, that was what it was. Right. I think two of them were by Thomas Graham. One of which I felt like was unfair. One of which was De Lenore. So you get two freshman corners out there playing their first action. They're going to they're gonna be aggressive. They're learning what, what they can and cannot get away with at this level. Um, I thought both of them played well in coverage, though, for the most part. Uh, I had Thomas Graham in my top ten player performances from the game. I thought I thought he played very, very well on the outside, brings a really aggressive physical presence. Sometimes that results in penalties. Other times it results in great plays. And um, I think you'll see more and more of him as the year goes on. I think you'll see more and more of Lenore, frankly, as well, because yeah. I thought both of them showed really well and, you know, when they got the opportunity. Let's take another question here. Uh, Brad Groves wants us to give predictions for the Nebraska game. Ooh, that's early. Um, I'm going to pause on that one, okay. but I think it's good to us to at least address the betting line. Yes. I think we we talked about this earlier. It's kind of surprising how high it is, I think. Yeah. Oregon's currently opened as a 7.5-point favorite. It's now gone all the way up to 10, 10.5, or 11, depending on where you go. I don't think it's going to be above... I think it's going to be above 10 or 7 points for Oregon. Yeah. Once it gets to 11, I get a little squeamish, maybe. In terms of if you bet it. Yeah, maybe I could see Oregon beating 11 point favorite, but I got this feeling it's going to be somewhere in that kind of a range. You know, two scores somewhere, two scores. Yeah, I thought 7.5 was actually pretty reasonable. And then when I saw it jump to 11, I was like, wow, that's, that's a lot of confidence I have in Oregon. And of course, I think. Vegas is probably feeling a lot of the Oregon fans are, which is, they're back. Right. And now it's, I think, maybe temper those expectations. This was, after all, Southern Utah, who's a pretty average FCS team, probably going to finish around 500 at best, I would assume, this year. Um, that's where they were last year. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's reasonable to expect that they could cover seven. I think they might be able to get to ten as well, just depending on how the game unfolds. I think there's a scenario where, depending upon how Nebraska plays defensively where Oregon could could roll a lot of points on here though. I mean I think Oregon up front looks so tremendous against Southern Utah that if, if they come out with the same mentality and the same game plan they could they could run for three hundred yards again and four or five rushing touchdowns. Uh, keep in mind Arkansas State was in the game against Nebraska uh, late last week, uh, into the I think into the third quarter, early fourth until Nebraska pulled away. But 
I, I think Nebraska's a little bit better than people are anticipating. I think Oregon is a little bit better than people are anticipating. I think it's going to be a good game regardless of who wins. Uh, and I, I do think Oregon wins, but how how by how much of a margin? Not quite sure yet. Not ready to make that pick yet. All right, let's take another question here from Theo Perry. Did Johnny Johnson give the receiver position some breathing room? Um, I wrote about this this week. I thought the receiving group as a whole, minus Charles Nelson, who we, we kind of knew what we had. You kind of know what you have there. He's a veteran guy. This is his fourth year. He did what he expected: five catches, ninety-nine yards, had a rushing touchdown. Johnson made one great catch. And yeah. Maybe maybe the best catch of the game, he or Nelson, one of those two, probably give it to that. But made a great catch. That's kind of what his calling card, I think, has been in camp. Is a guy who goes out and makes great catches. Overall, though, that receiving core, still too many question marks for me to say gives them any breathing room. I want to see what they do against better defensive backs. The fact that I think outside of Charles Nelson, the receivers had like nine catches for like 100 yards. Yeah. It's not great. Uh, you want to see a little more than that. Now, with that said, they weren't asked to do too much. Right. The game was so good that they didn't have to go out there and catch that many passes. And I will say, Johnny Johnson and Charles Nelson both had terrific downfield blocks where they held mm-hmm. their their defender for uh, – I shouldn't say held. They, they blocked their defender for a good chunk of time to spring touchdowns, one by Royce Freeman, one by Kanai Benoit, both of those guys with tremendous blocks downfield. And that's what you want to see from this group when you're going to run the ball so well. Uh, you have to have a good offensive line that can spring guys forward, and then you have to have good downfield blocking uh, in the secondary from the receivers to rip off these big runs of 28, 35, 14 yards that we've seen from Morgan's running backs, uh, and that's what those guys did. So while they didn't have necessarily, I was have Charles Nelson, a real productive day catching the ball, yeah. they were productive in downfield blocks, which is just half the battle and half, half just as important as catching the rock. Let's take one more question here from Alex Reyna. After watching all the other teams in the Pac-12, what – team do you think would be the biggest challenge for Oregon this year? I think Stanford. Yeah. I mean, we kind of already anticipated Stanford and Washington being the two biggest challengers, but, you know, let's someone who maybe we weren't expecting, Cal. Now, Cal went into North Carolina, uh, double-digit underdog, and I think they went in one going away. Uh, it was like 38-25. Uh, on the road, new quarterback, you know, a rebuilt defense, a rebuilt offense, uh, new coaching staff, and Cal went in there and was clearly the better team than North Carolina. I think everyone was looking at Cal as this team that was going to win what maybe one or two games all year, and they've you know they pulled off an upset and, and have shown that hey you know we're not as bad as people anticipated. You know, and it's worth noting just looking at how the conference I guess played this this past week, especially all the top teams were in tough games. I mean, Washington had hard, much harder time with Rutgers than expected. USC, same thing with Western Michigan. UCLA yeah. really should not have won that game. I'm not sure if anybody watched that. It was late last night, but they were down 34 points late in the third quarter and came back to win, which was one probably the best comeback I've ever seen. But but that's beside the point. I mean, I think the teams at the top of the conference didn't perform very well, and so it, it makes it difficult to assess who the biggest you know challengers are. I would say Stanford definitely, in terms of who played the best in their first game, Stanford was by far, I think, the most impressive right. of the teams we expect to, to compete for the Pac-12 North Championship. I, I think uh, Oregon's not going to play them, but the Colorado defense showed me a lot. True, right. uh, they played Colorado State, who the week before hung up 58 points on Oregon State, uh, and they scored just three against the Colorado defense that was working with a new defensive coordinator, a new cornerbacks uh, coach, 
and I think they had to replace eight starters along that defensive group last yeah, season, uh, and they held Colorado State to just three. So either that's a really indicator of how bad Oregon State is, or maybe or you know Colorado's defense is much better than anticipated. Right. What does that tell you about Jim Levitt? Did he develop such a culture over there, or is or does it mean that they figured it out without him? I mean, right. it's kind of one of those interesting things. Uh, moving forward to to this game real quick, back to Southern Utah. Yeah. Um, defensively, how would you? Grade this group. You you had some grades posted on DuckTerritory.com. Yeah. Uh, what were your feelings of, of this group and how they performed? Um, I gave them a B. Um, I felt like they performed pretty well for portions of the game, uh, really well for portions of the game. They basically had three bad possessions defensively. The opening drive, which I think let everybody – I'm sure everyone in the stadium was looking around going like, this again? Like, we just did this last year. We fired an entire staff to solve this problem. And then the next five possessions down – Punt, turnover, turnover, punt, turnover on downs, I think. You know, I mean, five straight possessions were, uh, so the Utah was unable to score, so you felt good there. And then the last two possessions we talked about earlier where Southern Utah scores on a play where Arion Springs makes some kind of misread on a play. Actually, I think the guy who was in front of the receiver also left him to yeah. rush the quarterback, so it's kind of two players making a mistake. That results in a 65-yard touchdown. And then the, the Tony Brooks-James thing put, put the defense in a terrible spot. Aside from those three possessions, though, that's basically one sustained drive. Yeah, Oregon they played pretty played good. Really good. Yeah, uh, you know, in the second half, I think they held them to about 150 yards. Um, five sacks in the game, forced two turnovers, had a third turnover nullified by um, a Thomas Graham pass interference call. I I thought it was I thought it was probably a little bit better than they what blocked you did. a field goal. They blocked a field goal. But despite giving up 21 points, which was my going into the game, which was my number of, hey, if they give up more than this, this, is, this some, there might be some problems. Despite that, I actually felt like they, they asserted themselves pretty well for the majority of the game. There's just a, there a play here, a play there away from it being probably like a seven-point. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think this group was, for the most part, I'm not going to say terrific or, or elite. No, uh, but But they, they were better than expected for the most part. And there were a lot of things that just don't show up in the in the box score either. You know, how many times did Oregon get pressure on the quarterback to force an early throw or to to force the quarterback out of the pocket and have to throw on the run because he's being pursued by a couple guys? Right. You know, Oregon got a. I go back to the UC Davis game last season, and I just think how little pressure Oregon got up front with their three defensive linemen, or maybe they sent four or five line, you know, four four or five guys uh, total uh, to get to the quarterback. And you compare it to this time around, and while Oregon didn't get all that complex with their blitzes and their scheme packages and such, uh, they still found ways to disrupt the line of scrimmage. Uh, I was really impressed with Austin Fialo and Jordan Scott's push Mm -hmm. that they generated, more so Austin Fialo. I think it was pretty clear he's he's the starter. In my eyes, uh, at, at nose guard, I know he started, uh, but we were we were told it was neck and neck between the two. Uh, after one sample of, of what those two guys can do, I think Fialo is is this team starting nose guard for the foreseeable future, and it's now up to Jordan Scott to kind of find uh, his niche behind him, or maybe they can move Fialo to another spot uh, to get both of them on the field. But I was really impressed with Fialo. I was really impressed with Jelks off the edge. Mm-hmm. And Jordan, uh, Justin Hollins, and Jonah Moya, outside linebackers off the edge as well. I was, I, I took a lot away from how much pressure Oregon was able Absolutely. to generate. Absolutely, I rated the defensive line group as the, the the top performers of the defense. I thought they played pretty tremendously. You look at the rushing stats. I think 
Uh, Southern Utah ran for 99 yards and 38 carries, which is less than three yards a carry. That's <laughs> that'll work. That's pretty good. That'll work. And, and then you look at the, the the way the quarterback play. I think Southern Utah started seven for nine passing, and then after that was below 50 percent completing passes. So they made some adjustments. A lot of that had to do with. One of the things Taggart said after the game was that they were giving him way too much cushion. They were treating him like they're playing Randy Moss, which so I don't think Southern Utah had, no. had Randy Moss on the roster. I have to go back and look. <laughs> if they did, he had a quiet day. But uh, uh, they they made some adjustments. They got a little quick, tightened up the coverage a little bit, and uh, I think that that resulted in some you know more difficulty throwing the football along with what I thought was a pretty tremendous pass rush. Uh, overall, wrap things up here. If we got any couple questions, got two more questions. Yeah. We'll take two more here. Uh, Jason Brady asks, after one game in the books, how do you project our defense going forward? Do you think they can keep it under 30 points per game? Mm, that one's, if it was 35, I would say yeah. <laughs> uh, I think there's going to be some games, uh, Washington, Washington State, Stanford, uh, those, maybe Nebraska. Um, those games, I think Oregon's defense is going to allow over 30, maybe even close to 40 uh, points maybe even above 40 points per game. Um, but I, I think they took a huge step forward, you know, and I, I think it's baby steps with this group yeah. because they were so bad last year. Right. And, and there are so many guys uh, still back on this team from the previous year. And, you know, they're going to be coached better. They're going to be developed a little bit better. They're going to have some personal <laughs> development that happened. Um, but – I don't think it's fair or reasonable to expect this group to go from 126th worst defense in the country to somewhere in the 30s, somewhere in the 40s. Um, if they can get into the top 50, top 60 in the, in the country, that's a huge jump. And with the way this offense plays? That's a lot of wins. They're going to win a lot of wins. Yeah, yeah because this offense is going to score a lot of points. For the season, a 30-point-per-game average, I think that is reasonable. I think they can do that for the year. I think, obviously, like Matt said, there will be probably several games, maybe three or four games, where they give up more than 30, maybe close to 50 points. I mean, I think it's going to be hard. Although Washington only scored 30 against Rutgers, I would assume they're going to, Washington's going to be up and ready for that game by the time uh, Oregon goes up to Seattle. And I think I could can see them scoring a lot of points. Stanford shows that they can score a lot more points than I think they're, they're we're used to seeing from them. So uh, I think I think we did see marked improvement. I think you have to be encouraged by the way they responded twice during the game, once after a really disappointing opening series drive, and then once again after that really poor second half, uh, sorry, poor end of the first half. And then finally from Florin DeWard, do you think we'll be able to find some more depth at receiver this season? I think... I was surprised, frankly, with how many players didn't suit up that were pl- that were playing yeah. receiver. Uh, Daywood Davis, Jalon Red, who I believe is injured. Um, we we saw him kind of look right. like he was working with the injured group at the end of Wednesday's practice. Um, and Dimitri Birch, none of them suited up. They were all on the sideline in, with their jersey on, but not in pads. I think there are guys. I think Johnny Johnson showed a little bit. I think he's probably one of the guys that's most capable. I want to see more of Dylan Mitchell. Yeah. I think he had two catches for 11 yards, was not really involved in the offense. Both of them were, you know, short out patterns that he caught near the near the, uh, the sidelines and stepped out of bounds. Want to see more out of him. Uh, Malik Lovett had one nice catch for 27 yards. but Schooler two for Schooler 12. Schooler two for 12. I mean, they've got guys. This, frankly, was the defense to do it against. We talked about it coming in. They were, like, one of the worst FCS defenses in the country last year. But Oregon didn't need to throw the football. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think this football team needed to show 
all that much with their with their passing attack. And I think that's a I think that's an answer that's to be determined. Right. Let's see what Oregon shows now against Nebraska. Let's see what they show against Wyoming, and then when they get into Pac-12 play against home game uh, road game against Arizona State, and then they come back and they they play Cal, Washington State. That these next four games mm-hmm. is where we're going to see. Uh, I think the passing attack truly show itself of what they can do. Uh, unless maybe Oregon comes out and you know gets up to a big lead uh, against Nebraska or Wyoming early, and, and they don't have to throw the football until you know. I think that's what Oregon has said too. Uh, until they're forced to throw the ball, they're going to consistently pound the ball up the middle with their running. Backs. I was going to say, I mean, that maybe the question is more: Will Oregon need to find more depth at receiver? I mean, eventually, obviously, they right. will. But I, I, I see a scenario here where if they're able to assert their will with the run game early in games get up by a few scores where they're perfectly content continuing to run and not trying to, you know, throw the ball downfield where, frankly, they don't have a lot of options. Right. That's going to do it for us here on the uh, Duck Territory Podcast with Matt and Eric. Uh, we're about to head over to Willie Taggart's Monday press conference, so uh, we'll, we'll post notes up there as, as well. Um, but we'll do this every Monday, recapping the football game from the previous weekend. We'll do another one later on this week, kind of, Finalizing our thoughts ahead of the game. That, and so today, this week, it's going to be the Nebraska game. We'll have our score predictions ready for that one. Uh, until we talk to you guys sometime soon this week, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. And uh, hopefully we see you on Oregon.247sports.com sometime soon. Thanks, guys.